Good afternoon. You are with the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. I'm with Jenny Giblin and Phil O'Reilly. And to this, holiday makers beware. Fuel companies are wanting uh, the import uh, of a bad batch of aviation fuel warning, rather. They could cause travel disruptions. Airlines are being told to ration in the coming weeks, right before the busy Christmas period. So for more on this, we have Irene King, an independent aviation commentator who runs IQ Aviation. Kia ora, Irene. Kia ora. So I see that Z Energy has apologised to its airline customers and any passengers that may be affected uh, on this this afternoon. But uh, explain this for us. How much of a disruption first could this make? Well, potentially it could be um, significant. However, I think there are so many factors that airlines can deploy. One, we've, we, we know early, so they can reschedule. Um, secondly, they can tanker fuel. They can tanker fuel within New Zealand. Um, you know, there's no contamination down south, for example. Or alternatively, they can tanker in from overseas. And thirdly, you know, the good thing about this disruption is it's well signalled and they can plan. And I think that's the important thing. How did it happen? Well, it sounds like um, there's a, it sounds like it's a water contamination. And this is to do with the seals, either um, on, on the boat itself or as it's pumped um, into, the, into the tanks at Marsden Point. Is it water, perhaps sulphur? Someone has been suggested sulphur, perhaps? Um, well, it could potentially. I mean, I don't think they've actually announced what it is. I mean, traditionally, I'm I'm more familiar with water and um, getting into Jet A1, so that's why I respond that way. But it could be sulphur. It could be some some other contaminant. Does this happen often? Has it happened before? Um. Yes and no. <laughs> yes, it has happened before, and it's not a, a frequent event. But the point is, when it does occur, it generally, you know, knocks out a batch for quite some time, and that's when the disruptions occur. And here's the pointer. I mean, new shipment due in next week, so um, hopefully that will sort things in time for Christmas. But uh, we don't know that yet. Um, unlikely, <laughs> and oh. this is this is the next problem, you know, because the, the consumption is is pretty intense at this this time of the year, and you can't just lose, um, you know, a shipment like this, and and that that's the problem. In the past, the disruption would have been mitigated because they would have reblended the fuels um, up at the refinery and and been able to use the shipment that's that's arrived. Um, this time we, we actually have a complete stop. So the disruption I'm anticipating um, in supply is going to be quicker um, and, and you'll start to see airlines um, tankering in fuel or alternatively, you know, we can we can stop in Mandy and pick up fuel. That's quite a traditional point okay. of pick up. Yeah. So there are other mitigation methods. Nonetheless, uh, you've got this disruption when people have booked their flights, very excited to get it away. They've paid uh, quite a bit, Jenny Giblin, for their tickets. What do you make of this? 
Yeah, well, I was just thinking that, of course, we probably would have been paying premium prices close to Christmas. Mm. I guess what I'm interested in is when will people know, when will the travellers know, and um, how, how, how are they going to be communicated with? Because that's the, um, you know, that, that's the issue. How, can, you know, how are they going to be compensated and, and what's it going to mean to their travel, travel arrangements? And I guess we don't know that yet. Well, I think to a degree we do in the sense that I'm not anticipating widespread disruption because, as I said, you know, airlines, they've been warned in advance. They can make plans to tanker fuel in. They can shift fuel themselves relatively easily. And so they can actually mitigate and minimise the, the disruption. Undoubtedly, there will be some. I'm not saying there won't be any, but with early notice, they can plan and they can mitigate. And we well, have. I hope, I hope they do, do because I hope they do because as a frequent, you know, domestic flyer in New Zealand, I fly every week. Mm. We're already facing disruption on a, on a weekly basis. Flights being cancelled or flight, flights being delayed at the drop of a hat. And I mean, yeah. it's hard not to get frustrated with Air New Zealand. Oh, look, I accept that. But look, these disruptions that, that are occurring at the present time are weather, notorious problem, or the uh, illness. Now, every business of New Zealand. Yeah. 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 Or, or simply a, a lack of staff. You know, they just can't get enough staff trained and capable. So these are short, you know, they're short notice disruptions that are going on. This is This is something that they can plan for. They should be able to mitigate relatively easily, and and I am expecting um, minimum disruption. Okay, now Phil O'Reilly, disclosure here, Phil, your company, your organisation rather, uh, works with Z, who is the fuel company involved. Yep. Uh, I see that Z Energy has apologised today. Um, what? Light, can you shed on this, if any? And were you aware of this earlier than any other? No, of course not. No, no, we we uh, we spoke to them this morning, uh, and and what you're hearing is is what they've said. They're very apologetic about this. It's one of those things. Um, the, uh, the the there are ships already on the water, as I understand it, to to mitigate the issue, and there'll be particular challenges for uh, well, obviously for airlines. But what one thing I think that's helpful is that. We haven't seen uh, the blame game being played by anybody here. I think everybody understands this is just, it is what it is. Uh, and uh, we're at the end of a very long supply chain. And uh, hopefully airlines can uh, can at least mitigate some of it. I suspect the, I don't know this from Z, I should disclose, but I suspect some of the issue will be the very long haul flights, uh, that A380 from Emirates that's that's coming in. It's quite hard. It's, there's a big long haul flight, a direct flight into Dubai. And hard to think where they might not be if they can't get the fuel you know that so some of that issue will not necessarily be domestic flights but it'll be some of the long-haul flights i suspect that will be much more uh, or potentially impacted by some of this over the next few weeks what of that irene i mean phil says it is yep. what it is but does uh, does z energy bear the brunt of any of this well, you know, that, that's a tough one because I, I don't really think that they were in any way responsible for this. I mean, you know, they, yes, they were a party to shutting down um, Marsden Point and if Marsden Point hadn't been shut down, then yes, we would be able to blend the fuel that much quicker. But it is what it is. Now, I do agree that there could be potentially some disruption on the long haul. Um, 
but again, the point is that they can go to Australia and pick up fuel. So there might be um, some technical stops, and it might make your very long flight a bit longer with an additional stop. But, you know, I, I really think that airlines have they've got the chance to plan for this one, and, and they know how to deal with it. Irene, a couple of questions, by the way. We are with uh, Irene King, an independent aviation commentator who also runs uh, IQ Aviation, has been in the aviation sector for uh, many years now. Quite a few questions coming through, Irene. Can I just uh, uh, throw one out to you? Byronie asks, would the Marsden Point refinery be able to remedy this bad fuel if it was still operating? Yes. Okay, no, no nice clear answer there. <laughs> and, and look, on that, so the, the country's only oil refinery based in Marsden Point ceased operations in April, didn't it, and became an import-only terminal for already refined products. What's what's your sense of that? Because quite a few people are talking about uh, Marsden Refinery right now. Was it a mistake to uh, cease operations, you know, to give us that um, uh, perhaps that sureness of uh, supply or... Did it have an end, an, end, an, end, an end date? Look, for aviation, Marsden Point is, was a key strategic asset. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like knocking out part of your airway system. And why was it so strategic? Because it addressed these sorts of problems. If, if we got a bad batch, Marsden could blend or it could refine. And so the recovery period from a bad batch was very quick. Now we have to wait for for um, additional shipments to come in, and I think the big question is what will they do with the shipment? I mean, they can't blend it because I understand Marsden hasn't got the capability anymore to do that. For the country, I think you know t- Marsden is strategic, and um, we now have to think about you know what that means for us all not having this plant operating. Interesting. I'm sure we'll hear more on that uh, uh, throughout the course of the week. Irene King, kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, what do you? Let's throw it to the listeners. Marston Point. Uh, would you have rather had it uh, stay open, uh, or actually, was it right to cease operations? What do you reckon, Jenny? Oh, look. Honestly, <laughs> I can't. I don't feel I'm qualified yeah. to comment on that. I really, I don't know enough about the pros and cons of it. But one of the questions I wanted to ask Irene, but I think she's possibly gone, was that given all the, the lead-in time that she's suggesting that the airlines will have and the opportunities to mitigate, then um, I'm, I'm still not clear on whether this is going to be a major or a minor. Um, and then how are they going to communicate with those people that have these big uh, travel plans overseas? So I don't know that we're necessarily uh, any clearer on that. Right, Jenny Giblin and Phil O'Reilly with us uh, this afternoon. By the way, thank you for your uh, texts and your feedback today. You can text me on 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. A new survey reveals the Reserve Bank's record official cash rate, a hike and recession talk, had an immediate negative effect on the housing market. There was a sudden drop in the number of people attending auctions and open homes. Two weeks ago, the Reserve Bank raised the OCR by 75 basis points to 4.25% and forecast it would peak at 5.5% next year. It also predicted 
a further rise in inflation, a year-long recession beginning in April, and a rise in the official unemployment rate to 5.7% in 2025. With us is economist Tony Alexander. Kia ora, Tony. Yeah, hi there, Wallace. Were you a bit surprised at how sudden the effect was? I'd say yes, and and what that tells us is that the words the Reserve Bank uses are particularly strong because the statement they made there two weeks ago, yes, while it was a record increase in the cash rate of 0.75%, the markets were sort of already geared up for the cash rate peaking at almost 5.5%, so that wasn't really a, a surprise to anyone out there. But talking about the unemployment rate going up, explicitly saying there's there's likely to be a recession there, house prices all up falling 20%. It's a weapon they should have dragged out a long time in the past to scare the bejeebas out of people and make <laughs> them pull back. So, yeah, a bit of a surprise there. Yes, and what was the reason for the effect being so immediate, so sudden? I think because people are suddenly worried um, with uh, the interest rates going up, for one thing, so they're just looking at the worst-case scenarios there. But the talk of recession, whenever we Kiwis hear that, we get a black-and-white photo popping up in our head of people <laughs> queuing outside a dole office or, or the soup kitchen in the Great Depression. We are basically geared. Where it's, it's, I'm not sure what the... It triggers us, basically. And so to officially come out and say we could be in recession... All the, all the next year. I uh, think that really just made people go, ah, uh, yeah, I want to buy a house. I'll just wait a little bit and, and see what's going to happen. And, and I think that's really how I see the market at the moment. There are many people out there who definitely want to buy, but they've logically gone, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. Isn't that interesting, Jenny, that, that psychological aspect? And that, it's only so true. You know, you heard that word recession. You go home and you uh, talk to your partner, huh, recession, and you, you get that image in your mind. It's so true, and I think that the discourse generally um, has changed in the last two weeks since that, that announcement. I think Tony's absolutely right. What I worry about is that this generation of um, of early uh, home purchases, the, the young people that have purchased, um, you know, young generation that have purchased homes, they've only seen growth in housing. They've only experienced kind of low interest rates. And for those guys, with um, if they if they've got a fixed mortgage coming off in the next in Q1 or Q2 next year, they're not used to these sort of conditions, are they? So I wonder how they're going to these the young or early first home buyers are going to cope in that situation. Tony? Yeah, it certainly is going to be tough. There's a bit of a learning lesson there, and especially if people started to think that period of record low interest rates from 2019 to 2021 was somehow normal. I, I emphasise to people, if you're looking at a graph of interest rates over the past few years, completely ignore where they were sitting from 2019 to 21 because that was uh, at, at low levels because of deflation worries. Remember, we talked about negative bank deposit rates in 2019 and then pandemic. And so, yeah, people are are into a, a, a tighter than average environment now for certain. But there's a few things we need to remember, and, and one of them is job security is high. I've never been in this sort of period of an economic challenge before where people are so confident about keeping their job or getting another one if they get laid off. And we're seeing very strong incomes growth, average uh, ordinary time hourly earnings a wages measure has increased about 8.5% in New Zealand in the past year. So incomes are actually rising while house prices are falling and that is going to create a bit of an interesting dynamic maybe a few months from now when people go, I think these interest rates have peaked, 
I'm getting another wage rise, maybe I will step back in the market. So that's what oh. I expect to see happening later on, first half of next year, stepping back into the market. Oh, some uh, Certainly some interesting observations there, Phil O'Reilly. Yeah, there's, uh, I agree with Tony. Actually, this is a shock that's gone on. In other words, uh, the, the, the Reserve Bank sort of jawboned everybody and, and shaken their, you know, their, their sabre a bit. And, and that has shocked not only house buyers, but also house sellers. So if you... You know, there's also a shock for there as well. So I bought my house for you know whatever it was, a you know gazillion dollars five years ago. I expect to get a gazillion plus another gazillion because that's what's been happening to house prices for the last few years. And all of a sudden, shock horror, it might not be that. And and so not only is this a shock for buyers who are worried and for all the reasons Tony's talking about, but also for sellers saying, gee, gee you mean that thing I dreamed of, that big house profit, may not be quite so much. And so in that sense, it's a shock, and and that'll play out into the first and second quarter of next year as, as we get to a new normal in all of this. Uh, and, and, Tony, one of the questions I had for you was was this a related issue to the young people buying their first home. It, a lot of young people that I know buying homes, yes, I do know some young people, uh, they're actually using the bank of mum and dad. And that's also a shock, of course, because some of those mums and dads will now be facing higher interest rates when they didn't expect to as well. And that so that doesn't just stress... Uh, the young fellas and young people buying houses, it also stresses the parents. Yes, I, I think it will give some stress there, but uh, what I've found is the older you get, the, 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 the more perspective you get on things, and so I think they'll have an ability to say, well, 6.5%, I remember my first interest rate, you know, personally, 18.5% back yeah, well, in 1987. I grew up so in all <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's, there's another interesting thing to consider here. The Reserve Bank two weeks ago finally came out, finally shocked and scared everybody, but they might have left it too late in that we can already see from the ANZ's monthly business outlook survey, businesses were feeling pretty p- increasingly pessimistic just before then. The consent being issued for new houses starting to uh, to fall away. So I do agree uh, with one or two of the other economists out there suggesting, you know, maybe they're not actually going to tighten as much as they indicate because um, the economy is already responding to, to yeah. what's been happening so far. I agree far. with that. I agree with that. Mm. Yeah. I just Tony, finally, I, oh, yeah, keep, t- keep going. Keep oh, Tony, can I just ask you a quick question? I had a um, just a, the, the um, update from my KiwiSaver Milford uh, that came in yesterday and I, what was interesting to me when I was reading that was that they was they were saying a signalling and, and people reducing the amount of money they're putting into their KiwiSaver contributions, which I thought was interesting. Is that something that you're hearing around the traps? Not necessarily hearing that, but it wouldn't surprise me. I've got another survey I've got undergoing at the moment. I've got 1,100 responses so far. I asked people, are you going to spend more or less money in the near future? That's just gone very, very negative, so shock result mm-hmm. in there. I asked them, you know, are you going to be saving more more money? And definitely people are looking at you know putting more money aside and saving it. And of all the categories I asked people about, are you going to buy more or less of this thing, there's only one going up, and that's the one we, of course, have to spend more on, which is groceries and so mm. people are having to I think find a bit of cash out there to pay for the weekly grocery shop so I think that would help explain the KiwiSaver situation. Very good uh, economist Tony Alexander thank you very much uh, for being with us uh, this afternoon. You're on the panel with me Wallace Chapman. I am with Jenny Giblin and Phil O'Reilly and by the way can I just say we've had such a response regarding uh, secret centres Phil <laughs> Phil O'Reilly, global business leader, uh, asked for your help, and you replied. You yeah. responded across the nation. Uh, Makes me proud to be a New Zealander. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 uh,
Phil was saying he cannot get, he, don't, he can't think of um, gifts under 20 bucks. Colourful fishing lures, the guys for tooth and nail for them uh, at my house. Uh, Kevin says, we changed our secret Santa with friends this year to be a donation of money to charities. Each person put a charity in the hat and the first two charities for all the money split between them. Uh, here's another one here. Christmas vest, Phil, from... <laughs> uh, Can you get one of those for under $20? From Look Sharp <laughs> oh, okay. or a similar shop. It's a winner. Uh, says uh, Jeanette uh, what about this three Tilly's soaps from acquisitions perfect ten dollars uh, are people suggesting I'm smelly here I mean because that's, no, two, that's no. two soap ideas we've had I'm soap on a rope well, or something what about, what about this wooden toaster tongs and olive pitters have been favourite secret Sanders at our house so uh, there you go <laughs> This, this is years worth of secret sanders I can build up here. The, the, the sound you can hear is me scratching away on a pen and paper, writing them all um, down. Across the motor, if you've just joined us, Phil, he was crying, crying for help at 3.45. A global business leader needed, he, can't, you know, he can spend a million dollars, but he can't find a present for under 20 bucks. Exactly. I suggested gardening gloves. Text me, 2101. Help him out for secret Santa. All right, coming up to 4.30, uh, a minute to go. I just wanted to, um, pe- people are, are asking, Phil, your book again. Yes. The book that you recommended. So it's, it, it's Sandy Hook. Uh, so, you know, that's the name of the place where the massacre took place. And it's by Elizabeth. Which she's got a, her name is with a Z. Elizabeth Williamson uh, is her name. And uh, you, you may not find it in bookshops because I bought quite a few for my clients. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's only in hardback right now. It'll be out in paperback in March. It's uh, one of the most remarkable books I've read in many, many years. I should warn okay. listeners, yep. it's confronting. It really, it's some of the stuff you kind of put, put it down to walk away. It's a deeply confronting, confronting and sad book at, at, at certain areas. But then at the end of the day, it's deeply inspiring too because these families actually find a new peace and a new way of thinking and, uh, and they win. And that's, that's why I love that book so much. Okay, we will do this tomorrow. Uh, the books list for uh, summer. I have one for you, Phil, Jenny. I picked up at random at the Blockhouse Bay Library a book. I'd heard of Doug Hammarskjöld, you know, the second Secretary General of the United Nations. Mm-hmm. It's a book called Who Killed Him? Who Killed Doug Hammarskjöld? A lot of theories around just why his plane went down, uh, whether it was, yeah, whether it was shot down because he was looking into huge mining interests in the Congo. Very interesting book. Jenny, do you have a recommendation for us? Um, I do. One of my favourite authors is John Boyne. Um, so who he wrote the um, the boy in striped pajamas, and his he's got a new sequel out, which is called All the Broken Paces, and I've heard it's very good. Nice. All right, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National.